Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Series 2 of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield, aka Not Another Sales Guy. I'm a sales and mindfulness coach, trainer, consultant, and speaker. I work with corporate sales teams and leaders, along with startup business owners passionate about what they do, but wanting to up their sales game. My main mission is helping us all become more mindful of how we elevate our performance, perspective, and potential. If you want to know more, then look me up on LinkedIn. Chris Hatfield, always happy to chat. So if you're new to Not Another Sales Podcast, here's what to expect. It's aimed at giving you insights into how you can be successful within the world of sales, whether that's your career or your own business. We go deeper into the thought process and mindset needed for success when selling and when running a business, not just the skills and output. So if you're looking for a podcast with a difference that starts with the mind in mind, this is for you. So enough about me, let's get started. On this week's episode of Not Another Sales Podcast, I'm joined by Bethany Ayres and Pete Crosby. Beth is Chief Customer Officer at artificial intelligence company Peak, one of the fastest growing tech businesses in the UK. Before joining Peak, Beth has worked as an advisor to high growth startups such as Codility and Cloud IQ. Her experience also includes SVP of Strategy at New Voice Media, along with strategic roles with Mimecast, Gentronics, Computer Center, and the Financial Times. Pete is a four-time successful scale-up sales leader, most recently a CRO at Metria, who Deloitte placed in the top 10 growth businesses in the UK with revenue acceleration above 3,000%. Prior to Metria, Pete ran revenues at Viadio, took trip tees from 2 to 10 million in revenue, and a successful Series B in just 18 months. Pete is one of the three founding members of the London Revenue Collective, and also a non-exec sitting on the board of Cluster. And Beth, Pete and I are going to be talking about three areas on today's podcast. The first one being the classic statement, sales is a numbers game. I'm going to be talking to Beth and Pete on how true they believe that is, what else really matters and why numbers should be your best friend. Pete and Beth will also be sharing their perspective on two top traits they believe every salesperson needs to be successful in the current climate and the future. And I'll also be getting some tips from Beth and Pete around advice of what they would give people, listeners like yourself, on how to become more customer-centric and aligned with a customer's needs when selling. So sit back, grab a pen and pad, and enjoy. Beth and Pete, welcome. How are you doing? Yeah, really well. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, good. Really well. So thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on the episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Uh, for us, before we kick off, for people tuning in who aren't familiar with, with one of you or both of you, it'd be great to give them a bit of a, an idea and insight into who you are, a bit of a story, really. So, Beth, if you'd like to kick us off with that. Sure. So, um, I'm currently at a company called Peak. We specialize in providing enterprise AI to larger companies. Um, I started there about 18 months ago building the sales team and now recently at the start of the year moved into a wider role where as chief customer officer, I have marketing sales, customer success and our data science teams under my remit. Um, And we've more than doubled our sales year on year and even through COVID are looking at doing something similar this year. Previously to that, I was at a company called New Voice Media that was bought by Vonage about a year two years ago, and did a very similar journey starting when the company had 32 employees, 
left when we had about 350 globally and ran pretty much everything. Um, I was SVP of strategy, but it was a sales ops, product marketing, product strategy, sales development um, channels, and did FP&A for the first three years before I found out that was an actual function and not just something that would fit into strategy um, and really specialize in taking companies from that series A through B or C, maybe D, um, and scaling a sales organization and customer org. Great. Thank you. Thank you, and Pete. Uh, hi. Well, yeah, thank you for having me uh, one more time, Chris. Um, I guess uh, my background is uh, a couple of years as a sales guy. Uh, first of all, selling uh, ad space in the 1990s uh, when we didn't have laptops and we got deals through fax machines and uh, then kind of got lucky by falling into a SaaS company in 2002 when uh, I didn't know what SaaS was and we sold a SaaS product without quite knowing that was the right acronym. Uh, and that grew really well. We sold that business, and then um, I joined a social network in France. I was there for five years in France and two years in China, managed our global business right up until the point of IPO. I took a year off, and then after that, I ran uh, commercial um, operations for a uh, travel company called Triptease. So I was there for two years. We did a two mil to 10 mil run A to B in about 18 months. And then I went to Ametria, uh, which is a MarTech business, and we did a very similar thing, about two and a half to about nine mil in two years, and uh, A to B. So we did a Series B raise last August with Octopus. Uh, since January, um, I've been taking time off. Um, I told my LinkedIn community that uh, my daughter's been very sick, so I decided to take a year off just to do some writing. I'm doing a little bit of consultancy, uh, but the most fun thing is probably I'm a non-exec with a Cluster, which is a revenue analytics platform to help sales leaders uh, make sense of their metrics, their KPIs, their figures, help them to report properly into senior management teams, into the board, get to the heart of all that nonsense that sits in Salesforce. And that's been a lot of fun. We raised a million dollars. We just announced that this week um, as our uh, final uh, seed round. So it should have happened mid-March, but COVID effects, it got kicked back about uh, almost six weeks in the end. Uh, but that's been a lot of fun. So we're just starting to ramp up uh, that business so that it can move toward uh, a series, series A. Great, great. Well, you know, thank you both again for joining me from, from what you shared there and from what I know. And I'm sure the listeners are uh, tuning in will feel that you know, you've got a lot of knowledge to give. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to talking to you both about some of the things we're discussing. So one of the things that I'd, I'd love to start with, with the, with the podcast is getting the guests' opinions on certain sales statements or myths or things that are sort of thrown out there in the community sometimes with a bit of a throwaway comment and people might through Chinese whispers pick them up in the wrong way. And one of them, when I was thinking about you two coming on, I'd love to get your opinion on is this statement sales is a numbers game. So we hear it all the time. You hear it on the sales floor, you hear people putting it on LinkedIn and social media, but I suppose from your perspectives, I'd love to get your insight into how true you believe that to be if so. And if not, like what bits are missing? So um, Beth, let's, let's start with you. What, what's your, perception of that statement? So I think sales is absolutely a numbers game. And I think sales is absolutely not a numbers game. And uh, you have to do both elements of it. So obviously, it's a numbers game cluster, as Pete was talking about, as a perfect example of how it is a numbers game. Um, for those of you who've listened to some of my other 
podcasts are, you know, I've talked about backward sales plans. I love them. I think it's a great way of aligning your entire business. And that is entirely predicated on the fact that you can predict sales and sales is, is a numbers game and the adage of you make your own luck. So you're never going to win the deal that you don't go and find in the first place. But then conversely, if it was a numbers game, anybody could be a salesperson and all you had to do was hit your, I don't know, 60 calls a day or your 10 meetings a day and everybody would be rolling in money and we'd sell everything that we could possibly sell. Mm -hmm. So you obviously also have to have skill and ability and not everybody can be a salesperson and not everybody can be a successful salesperson. And there's a lot more to sales than just picking up the phone. Yeah. And I think on that point you mentioned there about anyone could be a salesman, if that was true, is that some people get hung up on the idea of, oh, I just need to make 50 calls today. If it's just a numbers game, I just need to rattle through these calls or these meetings and and I'll be fine. And then when they don't get that, they're like, well, hang on a minute. You said it was a numbers game. They, they take it too literal sometimes when it's actually like, what are you doing on each of those those steps, those outreaches to actually make it successful? Absolutely. And also, so it's not just a salesperson feeling that way. It's also management mm. also will look at it that way. It's like, well, I've built my perfect plan. Everybody needs to just adhere to these activity metrics and everything will work and, and don't supply enough support along the way either or looking at it and end up feeling like it's very much that person's fault and focused entirely on the activity, but it's about quality activity. And that's where training and support and skill comes in. Mm, absolutely. And what about from your perspective, Pete, on that statement? Uh, yeah, well, I, I kind of thought about it more from the perspective of uh, specifically the COO rather than the salesperson, although I guess that my thoughts could probably apply uh, there as well. For me, there's three things that are critical, and numbers is the third thing. It's the least important of those three. Uh, if you're trying to build a sales team, the most important thing, uh, for me at least, is uh, safety, creating a place where people feel able to operate and able to move and able to experiment and able to work. There's a really interesting Harvard Business Review study that says that uh, 70% of chief executives say that their most important role is simply to create a place where people feel able to get on and do their job, where they feel safe, where they feel secure, where they genuinely feel looked after. And I guess this comes back to like intrinsic motivation. How do you create an environment where people want to be there without you having to say, hey guys, let's do some selling. But they want to be there because uh, they enjoy the environment that they're part of. So that's safety. Second thing for me is direction. Uh, it's no good having a safe space, but not having somewhere to go. There needs to be a very clear pathway through the forest. They need to know this is the way we're going. These are the way markers that we're going to go through. And that's how we're, that's how, that's how we're going to succeed. If you can achieve those two things, then the numbers should follow. Um, but for me, I'm not sure people think about numbers in the right way. I mean, what Beth was saying is bang on. You know, if you are going to do, if you're going to think only about I must make 50 calls, well, you can phone your mum 50 times, and uh, that's not going to get you very far unless your unless your mum's the CEO somewhere. So uh, as a result of that, I think that what we discussed at Cluster was thinking about three things: velocity, consistency, and growth. So velocity is simply, do you have the numbers to achieve? Are you doing all of the right things that give you the velocity, the pace, the momentum to continue in the right direction? Um, and are you doing that on a daily basis? As you know, when you measure velocity, it could be here one day, there, the next. So is that continuing in a steady state? 
And finally, uh, is that number growing? Is it, are you able each quarter to do more and more and more? If you're able to find the right way to track velocity, consistency, and growth together, um, then you have everything in the right place. I finally think about what sits underneath that, and for me, that's quality. And I think it's often missed. Uh, it's fine to do a hundred calls, to do you know deals of a certain size, etc. But how do you measure things like sales development? How do you know that your sales development team are delivering a quality call? So then I think about measuring uh, the discovery call, for example. I think about measuring meaningful conversations and ensuring that they're happening in the right way. I think about breaking down a discovery call into perhaps 20 different categories and then scoring those things. And then trying to, if I have created a safe environment, people don't look at that as you know some kind of guy beating them, but instead they look at it as a way to receive feedback and improve and get better. And that has an impact on all of my numbers. So for me, numbers are vital, but they have to come last. But then when they do come last, you have to focus on exactly as Beth said, in the right way and looking at quality in addition to looking at quantity. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And I suppose to add to both your points, I think when, when people think about sales as a numbers game is is understanding more about how you can tighten your process around those numbers. So, you know, the, you, you see stats where it's like, you know, what it takes 20 times to call someone before they say yes or in certain industries. And it's almost acknowledging that, but then reflecting on it and going, well, why does it take that long? And how do we tweak that and maybe make it 15 or 10 rather than just a, a, a set, accepting the stat as to what it is? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what's going on there? I spoke to a guy called, you might be familiar with a guy called Todd Capone, who wrote the transparency sale. Um, and he, he talks a lot around this and that, you know, we're, we're so used to being given data, which is useful, but we should also always question the data as to what's actually going on there. And the, the feedback we're getting, if this is what's coming back, is how do we perfect it? So for example, for me, I started my career doing door-to-door sales and I used to have to knock 100 doors a day, get into eight houses and close four. Like that was the kind of banded ratio around. And I started thinking, well, how do I how do I get into more? Like, do I need to knock more doors, or what's going on with those other ninety six? And start tightening that really. So I think it's good for people in sales is to think about you know it's good to know the data, it's good to understand it, but it's also good to reflect and question it and think how do I how do I kind of adapt that and maybe you know make a new level of performance, a new standard that people can adhere to as well. Absolutely, it's, and it's like solving the problem of sales and I think that's that's why I really like startups and scale-ups because there's lots of problems to solve and I view it that way so like the ultimate goal is how do you make as much money as possible as quickly as possible but in a way that is fun for everyone and is bringing people on a journey and it's not and also it's a sustainable moral way so that you know I can feel good about it and so I love in sales unpicking this problem and it's an always changing problem because there's numbers, there's people, there's customers, there's the market, there are investors and taking all of these constraints, which ones are real and which ones aren't real. How do you experiment and play and find the best path through it Mm. is the way that I like to, to view growing it. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point, Pete, as well, earlier when you mentioned about having a, a safe environment, I completely agree because if you're telling people, they need to be doing, you know, the numbers game, you need to do 50 calls a day. Like you say, they're just going to call people for the sake of it because it looks good on the figures and they say they've done it. And then they're like, well, I haven't hit my numbers, but you said, I, you, t- you told me what to do, but I'm not succeeding. And then it kind of builds a bit of resentment sometimes because it's the wrong kind of environment to do that in. Mm. Whereas actually thinking about what are you doing on each of those calls? And also, if it does take 50, if it is 50 calls, is thinking about 
in your mindset, are you at your peak performance on each of those calls? Because that's the thing in sales as well, isn't it? Like you might do 10 calls at the start of the day, you have a really negative experience and it kind of impacts you for the next 20 or 30 and then you get back up to 10 you think oh no but if you'd hit 50 of those calls at the same kind of level with the, the right frame of mind you probably would have seen a different result yeah you're right so it's, it's a tricky balance to strike what i've always uh, told my teams is we need a balance between thinking about our own mental wellness and work ethic so i want people that are prepared to come and do the really hard graft you know i've grandfathers used to go down pits and mine for coal it's not as if we're asking people to do a hard job but on a cold wet wednesday afternoon in november when you've made 100 calls and spoken to no one other than people that told you to get lost it's a really tough role so thinking about work ethic and combining it with wellness so uh, what we did at Ametrio is have a whole bunch of uh, mental wellness programs in place to give people the tools to think about how do i handle it when things are difficult giving people permission to walk away from their desk and do whatever it is they do to reset their brain, listen to music, go for a walk, have a cigarette, go to the gym, whatever it needs to be. Eventually, it doesn't really matter that much because I would prefer people to take an hour out and come back and, as you said, then nail it when they've got their mind back in the right place rather than make stupid calls that don't achieve anything, maybe even achieve a negative result. Finding the right balance between those two things is a really tricky thing to get right, and it will be different in every organization. Work ethic balanced with thinking smartly about how um, mental wellness operates, now, how our brains brains think. Mm. Yeah, it's so easy, isn't it, when we're selling to kind of get caught in it and think we've done 20 or 30 calls saying got nothing. I need to keep planning through. I need to keep – I can't take lunch. I can't take a break when it's like, well – you like it's like an F1 car, like your tires are worn down a bit, and you're not going to peak performance. You need to have a bit of a bit stop. Um, really? You know, I, I talk to people about kind of creating your own in case of emergency break here kind of set where you become a bit more intentional and conscious of what are the things that do shift your state, that do shift your mindset, and get you back to peak performance. Is it calling someone? Is it a song? Is it like in the morning, for example, like hugging your cat? Like it could be something as simple as that. Just finding something that you can be intentional with. If you know it benefits you, like have it there and be conscious of it when you feel like you might be slipping away from your picture. Yeah. I feel like that was a very specific example, Chris. Is that what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a cat, but it's one I got told before. So I use it because it's quite specific. <laughs> I did a uh, revenue collective uh, call uh, with the uh, Manchester team the other day, and one of our members, Russell, had this beautiful grey and white cat in the background, which seemed to only meow at moments when Russell was sharing his thoughts. So uh, <laughs> I highly recommend it. Podcast top tip. <laughs> great, great. And I suppose what we talked about there, saying obviously with with numbers, there's a lot of other things that come into it: the environment, the skill set. Coming on to that with with salespeople in in your opinion or from your own experience what i'd love to get your ideas on what are sort of one or two top traits or skills or habits you think that are essential or required for people to be successful in selling because it is such a a big world there is no one size fits all but there's some common sort of things that people share i think so from your perspective beth what what's your one or two top traits or skills or habits so I think one is is what everybody expects of salespeople, and that's being quick thinking, being able to reframe an argument or challenge a customer in a way. So it's like somebody will have um, a certain viewpoint, and it's not about being combative, but it's about reframing the argument, making them think in a different way. Uh, and often you have to do it very, very quickly, and the best salespeople do have this ability to think on their feet in a way that 
like hands up, I was not the best salesperson, which is why I'm in management rather than still selling. Uh, and I do need sometimes a bit more time to think. Um, but it's so powerful. And I'm in awe of people that have that skill. And I think that's something that we think of when we when we imagine a good salesperson. And then the other one on the other side is something that I don't think we think about very often, which is being organized. And it's so important. And it comes down to that numbers thing. And so organized, but owning your business, I really like and think it's most successful for salespeople to be mini CEOs and view their business. They are the CEO of their business, need to be organized. How are they going to run it? What are their numbers? What are their activities? What does their pipeline look like? And the combination of the two of being a nice challenger when you're talking to customers and then behind the scenes, knowing exactly how you're going to hit your number and what are those activities that you need to do is where you find the superstars. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. I, uh, Scott Barker was on from Outreach a few weeks ago and he was talking exactly about that, of owning it like your own business, particularly at a time like this where you might not have every every function or every department in the business there to help you. You've got to take it to yourself and you know if you need to create some resources and do things, it's to, it's to own it, it's to own that process. And I think that's probably another reason why you you like startups and scale ups. I, I work for a scale up as well for Payment Sense, and you know you you don't have the luxury of everything being done for you outside of it. There is a lot of like things you need to learn that are outside of sales, but they might seem like outside of sales. But once you start getting to grips with them, they become real assets for you to to combine through your sales process. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'd agree with that, and um, it also. Sh- shows you how a real business works. So rather than just thinking about your world as your own very narrow bit of sales by opening up to, in effect, your pipeline and your pipeline management is the same way that a business works of a, sale, of, a, of a business process. So it starts to help you understand what your customers are doing a bit mm. more effectively as well. Um, and again, for me, I think it makes it a bit more fun because it's your ownership, it's your business, it's your responsibility. It's not somebody else telling you what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and from your perspective, Pete? Yeah, well, I, I love Beth's point about, uh, about herself, in fact, that some, there are some people on the team that will need to you know, take longer to think about a thing, for example. And I think uh, sales leaders, probably in particular male sales leaders, have a propensity for the kind of fire from the hip person that can always give the perfect answer over and over again and what we've learned of course is that it's just stupid you know, customers sometimes like that person that always has an answer for everything they equally like the person that's able to go away think things through properly and come back with the right answer so i, I do have a couple of things that are worth talking about i think for that you would want to see in salespeople. but the first thing i think to say is we need to be careful of being too homogenous and I think, uh, again, back to my most recent uh, leadership experience at Ametria, I don't think they'll mind me name-checking them, but two of my best salespeople there, Josh and Mariah, I mean, Mariah was always the loudest person in the room. Uh, even on her own, she would be uh, ridiculously loud. Um, prospects, clients loved her. She did a podcast for us. It was very exciting. Josh couldn't have been more introspective, couldn't have been more introverted, always took his time to respond, was almost whispering when he spoke. That These people couldn't have been more different. And Mariah was probably the more typical archetypal salesperson that you'd expect to see in a movie about a salesperson. Yet they were both equally successful. So there's a danger when we start making a list of what I want in a salesperson. There's a danger of bringing our 
our, our own unconscious biases mm -hmm. and ended up trying to hire people in our own image or people we believe are a certain type, which cuts out a whole segment of potential customers who just won't respond to that character type, that method of delivery. Um, but for things I really do want to see, um, the first is I love neurotic, overthinking, um, horrific characters who worry and obsess about everything. Uh, I'm not sure if they're happy in their real life, but I love that uh, they obsess about every word they write in an email. I love that they receive a WhatsApp from a prospect and think, God, what on earth does he mean there? And uh, I need to change, what should I say? And is this word going to be suitable? Because that isn't overthinking to me. That's attention to detail. And I've even coached people that have come to me and said, you know, I feel like I'm over, an overthinker. And I say, no, no, maybe you are, but I love it because you're giving this incredible attention to detail. You care about every line. You care about exactly how things are put together. You, there's never a spelling mistake in the document that you send out. There's never anything that would make anyone think that you are nothing less than a superstar. And companies want to work with great people and great companies. So that level of attention to detail They'll care in, in every single um, part of what you do and obsessing over it in order to get the result. That's the first thing for me. And the second is I care about people that think in frameworks, people that are able to do the sales equivalent of getting in a helicopter and then looking down on what is beneath them. You know, when you're looking for uh, the imprint beneath a field of a stone circle, you go up in your helicopter, you take a photograph, and suddenly you can see something that you can't see at ground level. And so many salespeople are really, really competent and they're good, but they're not able to really think about their process and understand why they do the things that they do. And uh, there's a couple of examples of that. There's a guy I worked with in New York, Alex Kahn, who was brilliant at this. And because he was a louder than life character, everybody thought that he got his deals because he was funny, he told a stupid dad joke. He would uh, he'd go through all these things. But if you listen carefully to his calls, these were all misleading. Actually, he did the same process over and over and over again. He just did it extraordinarily well. Because he knew his process and he knew how to make things work, he was always able to give that sense of direction that we were talking about earlier to a prospect and lead them in the right way without them ever realizing that he was leading them in that way. He was just very subtly taking them on a journey, which they were really happy to go on. So a framework-driven thinker who's able to understand their process Think carefully about what that process is and flex it and twist it for certain prospects, but think in that way rather than somebody that doesn't quite understand how they do that. So I interview for that by just making people draw their processes out on a whiteboard, and I'm looking for those individuals who kind of look to the ceiling, they look up and their eyes go to the left, and they're trying to think it through for the first time. No issue for this, of course, but I want people that have already thought it through and are able to confidently explain what their, what their process is. Mm. Yeah, so it's an it's a it's an interesting point you make there around the process in that in sales, like people are sometimes always looking for the quick way around doing things and the quick wins. And it's like, well, if you've got a process that works, like in any other profession, you would follow that process. A surgeon has a a, a process, like every other, like an accountant has a process, a lawyer has a process of what they do. But in sales, when not as many people are conscious of what that process is. They kind of like. When they don't win, they overanalyze it and wonder why. But when they do, they kind of go out and celebrate and don't actually think about, well, how did I get here? Like, what made them say yes? There's a great story I share about the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team. Um, and they have this little black book. And one of their things talks about is that typical sports teams, when they lose, they'll come in early the next day and analyze it. And when they win, they'll go out and celebrate. But the All Blacks do it the other way around. So when they lose, they'll go out and get drunk and then when they win they'll come in early and, and analyze it because they believe you can learn more from your wins than you can from your losses it's easier to be consistent with something you're 
already doing rather than changing something you're not. And it's not to say don't focus on the negatives, but I think people need to analyze a lot more about when they do get those wins. So for example, if you were going to have a meeting for an hour analyzing why you lost the deal, if you want it, you should still have that meeting and analyze why you want it. And then on top of that, Chris, it plays back to your original, um, one of the original points you made around always optimizing your process. So that's where the optimization is. So if you think about a process is taking best practice and codifying it, um, that's where the wins come in so that you, every time you're like, oh, that was really cool. We experimented. It worked really well. Let's stick it into the process mm. and make it better for the next time. So it's, because it, it, I think oftentimes people think about a process is, well, that's it. It's now a process. It's done. It's dead. But actually, it should never be dead. And make sure that you take your best pieces and stick it back in for next time. And don't forget about the good innovations. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good to split test with that sometimes and do like two or three different ways because how you're doing it might be working, but you could try a different approach that's even more successful. And then, of course, you can become more mindful that it is the process. It's not just down to that salesperson doing it or that personality that you both talked about as well. So one of the other things that I wanted to get both of your, your thoughts on, having you know read your experience and heard from what you've been talking about already, is that this word around customer centricity is coming out more and being more focused towards what the customer wants in a world where they can get more and more information. How do we become more aligned to them? So what I'd love to get your thoughts on, and I suppose some tips for the listeners as well, is if someone is listening to this and, and they do want to become more customer-centric, what are one or two things that they can maybe adapt in their process or approach or literal things they can do to, to do that? So, Pete, if, we, if I could start with you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, generally those are if you're doing it if you're trying to become more customer centric inside your organization i would question if you're in the right organization as a salesperson the the two things you need to care about are mission and values and my belief is that if you join a company where you can buy into the mission you think i want to do this um, i like what this organization is doing and i like the people that are doing it um, then you're much more likely to put the customer first than if you're in a place where you're unhappy and you can't see the point. And secondly, you need a place where you've got shared values. There's nothing worse and more soul-destroying than working for an organization where that simply isn't the case. Companies are becoming better and better at uh, trying to employ individuals who match their values, but I still think candidates aren't good enough at really caring about an organization's values before they join. And the reason for that is most of us kind of want to get a job and we've got to pay the bills. So if there's even a possibility that we might be able to get it, we try and sell ourselves like crazy until someone offers us the job and then we'll take the best offer on the table. But I think the big news is, is if you're good at your job, if you are a good salesperson with some track record, um, so I appreciate if you, you're a graduate, you've got to do your time. But other than that, if you've got a track record of success, you should have the luxury of choosing. Great salespeople. Um, you know, I got a message on LinkedIn today from a really cool young guy who's been asking me for some assistance with where we should go. Just got a job at a great company this morning and wrote to me to say, hey, um, seeing as you help me, what charity can I give to a proportion of my salary to? I love that. Sorry, it's not completely irrelevant, but I love that I got this message um, because I'm so happy that I've got this role. But he got the job in COVID because he's amazing. And he got the job because he really cares about the mission and all the things he's been thinking about over the last year. And no question, he'll be putting the customer first in this new role. 
So I'm sure it's possible to become more customer-centric inside your organization. But typically, if you aren't customer-centric, it's either because you don't care enough about the mission or the values of the organization, or because the company itself doesn't really have much mission and values. It's just there to make a bunch of money. And there's very few salespeople in my experience that are motivated purely by making some money. Normally, that's a nice side effect of being able to contribute something meaningful. So I guess if I were to give any advice, it would be to pick an organization where you can really believe in what the leaders and the organization stand for. Mm, absolutely. And from your perspective, Beth? Um, I think I was, I'd take the question a bit more literally, possibly, in terms of like, at least there are moments where we produce documents that don't make sense for anybody except for us because we have a lot of other information um or it's like wildly detailed and you're handing it to a ceo who is has a five minute attention span if that uh, so I, for me it's more about how to it, it's not a, a customer is this big amorphous thing a company is this amorphous thing whereas what you're doing is talking to another person and that company is made up of lots and lots of different people and they all have different communication styles and they understand things and they have their own shit going on that day that they may or may not be able to engage with you. Um, so for me, it's about getting past yourself and becoming empathetic and not taking things so personally. So like, oh my God, I had like this customer used to be awesome. When I talked to them today, they didn't want to talk to me at all. What have I done wrong? Chances are you've done nothing wrong. Like they've just had a really bad meeting ahead of time. Some other projects not going well and they don't have time for you. So Sometimes it's about getting a bit of perspective and it's not all about you. And that's like the first place that you can look to talk to other people and make connections is actually look at them as people. Um, I think we get caught quite often in the job title and forget that the person's a person. Mm -hmm. And actually the first instance is what could it be like to be that person? Where are they coming from? And imagine, and that's a good first step for empathy. Um, and the other one is, this is something we used to do at New Voice Media with our SDRs because your recent graduates realize they'd be like, oh, well, you're going to talk to a CFO and this is what it's about or this is what finance does. And they just had no idea. And so we actually took it back to like a week of everybody in our departments coming in and explaining what we care about, how our business works, how we view the world as an exec, literally showing what our our calendars look like. And so when you're trying to cold call and you see that 15 minutes here is the only 15 minutes in the week that doesn't have anything. And I happen to answer the call. <laughs> that might be why I'm a bit short today and you need yeah. to think about it. Um, and then we'd also have customers come in, like if they just, if they were a friendly customer and happen to have some training or record them talking about what their day is, what they care about, what an effective salesperson is so that we gave our SDRs a real rounding. So it's not just about imagination because it's hard to imagine a world that you've never been exposed to, particularly if your parents aren't in business. So how can you expect somebody who has a science background or a services background to imagine what it's like to be in our world without giving them some experience? Um, and then the other one that we would do is just have them tail us around for a day. So I take a rising SDR and they would see a life, a day in my life and then talk about that with other people. And so part of it is, that's great for like as management, how we can help people. But as a salesperson, again, it comes down to responsibility, take some responsibility, be curious, talk to some of your friendly customers and understand what a day in their life is. And that will help you imagine everybody else's lives 
And I think from that, you'll build some empathy and customer centricity as a person to another person. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, I've seen a couple of organizations tie in that nicely with either building in their onboarding, learning about the customers before their actual own products of service, first of all, because you know, onboarding is so heavily focused on what we sell. But And then there's a little bit of, oh, this is who we sell it to. It's kind of flipping that and also getting people to go and hot desk and go and work at the customer's offices, obviously, with it depends on the type of industry you work in, but just to get a, a feel and a flavor of what the kind of environment's like, what's going on there, so they can familiarize themselves with that kind of, like, as you said, that expectation of this is what's going on in their world, to be more empathetic towards them. And to your point, Pete, as well, I think I totally agree with that around the, the mission and also the, the piece around the business. And I guess, for me, I'd always think about what's the intention behind someone wanting to be customer-centric? What's the intention behind a business? Like, why are they wanting to do that? Is it because they want to appeal or appear to be customer-centric, which if they do, it will probably be seen very transparently through that, that they're not actually being authentic or empathetic towards it. So it's being very careful, as you mentioned, that it's going beyond just where you're customer-centric and going, well, what do we actually stand for? Why do we want to do that? And then if we, can, if we know that ourselves, our customers will see that as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think that it, there is an, the SaaS world is becoming increasingly competitive as well. And organizations that don't exist to put their customers before everything are going to get found out. And if you just think about tying it to hard metrics, if you think about something like your dollar retention rate, you want that to be at 110, 15, 120% only going to happen if you're exceptional at delivering to customers so i think we can tie some hard metrics to this idea of customer centricity in order to win and uh, find yourself positioned in the top quartile which is essential when it comes to your next funding round just as much as it is to your to your growth uh, there's there's no question that you have to have an entire organization that puts customers first uh, one of the dangers i guess of having a customer success team is we can almost think that that's the team that's supposed to think about the customer and whilst they may be the spearhead they're just a small part of it in most companies the product team are talking uh, the marketing team are talking to the customers of course the sales team and the sdrs are talking to people who might be customers out at events and if you're any good you might be putting your engineers out there as well in um in advisory boards so that entire organization has to be focused around uh, the customer and that puts a big responsibility on the company because if you are going to send an engineer out, no problem for them to be personable and speak to a customer, but do they have they internalized the missions and objectives of the company in the same way that your traditionally outbound uh, salespeople and customer success people have. So there's a big responsibility on the organization to train its entire team to be sure that it knows how to communicate well with, uh, with every customer and potential customer. Mm. Not just communicate well, but truly understand customers, because otherwise you end mm. up with not very good, relevant product. So you know, engineering need to understand customers in some ways more than anybody else does. Absolutely. Yeah. Product people. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Beth and Pete, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your, your time, your insights and your, and your stories as well. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you, Chris. It's been great to be on the show. You're welcome. And for people that do want to sort of tune in and follow you into what's going on in your world and business, where's the best place uh, let's go for you first of all, Beth, to, to find you and follow. LinkedIn. I, I, I wish I could say, oh, I have this amazing social network that I've built up and here's my website and um, my podcast. But fortunately, it's just LinkedIn when I get around to it. But happy to link in with anybody who gets in touch. 
Great. And okay. for yourself, Pete? Yeah, I'm not happy to link in with anyone. Um, I'm one of these weird old-fashioned people. Uh, I only uh, connect to people that I've met, but I am happy to meet people on Zoom. So if anyone wants to talk to me, they can email me at pete.dfordavid.crosby at gmail.com. I happily do a 25-minute call with someone and just you know, have a chat. And obviously then I feel like I know them and I'm really happy to connect to anyone. But you can look at my LinkedIn. It's uh, uh, just Google Pete, uh, just search for Pete Crosby. Great, great. Well, thank you both again. And for listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Hey, people. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to find out more and connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn under Chris Hatfield, H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D, or on my website, www.notanothersalesguy.com. That's www.notanothersalesguy.com. Stay tuned in future for some courses and free content on there as well. But for now, have a good one and I'll catch you soon.